The views and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily represent those of our sponsors. Welcome to the Small Business Hour with your host, Mark Dio. It's 60 minutes of red-hot talk to help you develop your small business. The Small Business Hour is brought to you by CBion, the last communications company a small business will ever need. All right, folks, welcome to the Small Business Hour right here on the SBA Network. My name is Mark Dio. Joining me, of course, the inimitable Matthew Walker. And we're coming to you live from Los Angeles as your small business advocates. Our show is dedicated to helping you to become more positive, more productive, and a whole lot more profitable. Every single week, we bring you experts and expert advice in the area of running your small business. And uh, even if you have a mid-size or even a large business, you're listening to the show. I think you'll find uh, the content and some of the things we're talking about to be very relevant uh, in building your business. uh, Today, uh, we've got uh, really an interesting show, Matthew. We're going to talk to um, Harry Beckwith author of Selling the, uh, Selling the Invisible. It's a very influential book for me uh, many years ago. He's written a new book called Unthinking. We'll be talking to him later in the show um, about why not thinking might be the best way to think. <laughs> uh, figure that out. Okay. Well, imagine that. Um, we'll also be uh, talking a little bit about uh, consumer trends and uh, what are some of the trends uh, that we can recognize in consumers that we might be able to adapt to um, being more successful in our business. Um, We'll look at the new Discover card survey. Discover credit card every year. Uh, Discover company does a survey of small businesses and some interesting um, results this year. So we'll be taking a look at that. First, Matthew, I wanted to talk about an interesting thing that happened earlier. Well, actually, it happened last week. It's actually occurred last week. Jeffrey Immelt, the CEO of the world's largest or fourth largest company in the world, mm-hmm. um, fourth largest company in America, I should say, not the world, probably in the top ten in the world, CEO of General Electric Corporation, Jeffrey Immelt, um, under the tutelage of the famous Jack Welsh, is now the CEO of the company, has been the CEO for a number of years. Uh, a real anti-Obama type of guy, Matthew. In fact, um, during the Obama um, um, race, the race for president, presidency, um, Mr. Immelt um, had some very harsh words um, in, in talking about um, Mr. Obama's um, policies, perspective towards business. Uh, General Electric... Uh, while it is the fourth largest company in the world, I think people need to know that their business paradigm is that of a small business. Jack Welch, um, when he headed up the company in the uh, 70s and 80s and early 90s, um, really broke the company up into um, several hundred small businesses. Small businesses defined by several hundred million dollars each. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But run like small businesses, and, and one of the things uh, that uh, Jack Welch uh, loathed, and of course Immelt, his sort of successor, um, followed along, is, is uh, the elimination of bureaucracy. The elimination of um, 
sort of, um, you know, the committee to decide of the recommendations based on the committee and then another committee to strategize what that committee came up. You know, I mean, this sort yeah. of mired red tape, uh, mired in red tape, uh, was holding the company back from, from growth and profitability. And Jack Welch uh, delivered a mandate, and it's still a mandate that exists today if you're a, a General Electric company, and that is that every General Electric company must do two things, Matthew. They must be profitable um, year over year. Mm-hmm. They must achieve a minimal growth. I think it's somewhere between 2 and 5%. Um, and they must be the leader in their industry. I guess those are three things. Leader in their industry. Uh, if they're not, then GE is looking to unload them. So a high level of accountability, a high level of confrontation exists in the general electric culture. Um, well, all that being said, um, even though Mr. Emolt, um really spoke these harsh words to Mr. Obama. He has now accepted an advisory position from Mr. Obama after calling him actually anti-business. He actually said Obama's anti-business when he was running for, for presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's true or not, that is, was his perception. And now all of a sudden he's, he's, he's come, come his way. Now the que- so, so the question is, uh, why? Um, is that a result of Mr. Immelt? changing his perspective, or is that a result of Mr. Obama changing his perspective? Or maybe they're meeting halfway, or maybe they see great benefit in helping one another achieve personal success. Well, one, <laughs> thing, I, <laughs> yeah, one thing I think uh, even opponents of, of Barack Obama would say, because you know, I'm not the biggest fan of him either, but uh, I think most people would say that uh, as a president, he's one of the presidents we've had, at least in my lifetime, that's been the most open to at least listening to other points of view. Whether or not he yeah. accepts those points of view or acts on those other points of view, I think I've seen him listen to other points of view more than any other president we've ever had. Uh, in my lifetime since the the mid seventies uh, so at least at least some of that comes into play, you know whether or not he takes any recommendations from Jeffrey Emold or not uh, and I think that is at least good that there 's sort of a, a more open discourse in Washington that people are talking to each other more, even if they don 't necessarily ever come to an agreement. I think it 's good to have them at least talking to each other about problems well uh, i I think that 's true. I think Mr. Obama certainly at least he he at least he creates a very believable perception, a credible perception that he listens, and mm-hmm. he also creates a credible perception that he um, is very decisive and makes decisions. And I mean, I don't, I don't like very many of the decisions he's made, frankly, but what I like about the guy is that he does make decisions. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing I, I like about Mr. Obama um, is the fact that he's not uh, afraid to admit he's wrong. And, and mm-hmm. I think he has admitted he's wrong, and, and, and he said, you know, wait a minute, I Maybe this big, gigantic government isn't the best way. Maybe, maybe spending more and more taxpayer money isn't a good idea. Now, now that might be wired up um, and motivated by the fact that he wants to you know, have another four years at this deal. I'm sure that that's a, that looms large in his sort of decision. But still in all, I mean, he's able to uh, impact some self-discipline to achieve that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, whereas Bush had some great ideas, he just didn't have the self-discipline to get them done. Now, see, the thing that I would love to see, though, rather than seeing a guy who's the CEO of a huge company that was a huge company when he became the CEO, 
I would rather see somebody advising the president that's the CEO of a big company that was tiny, that he started and built into being a huge company. I think that's the kind of mind that could really be valuable in terms of helping small businesses out. Um, yes, yes, that's that's probably true. Unfortunately, um, that kind of person is too busy running their business to waste any time in Washington. Or so. or they become or they're or they're inventors. You know, the the Mark Zuckerbergs uh, of the world. Um, um, you know, the Bill Gates in, engaged in sort of the phil- phil- philanthropic, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, efforts. Um, and, and so, so those 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 folks uh, are difficult are difficult to get. Nevertheless, I thought it was interesting. Um, I, 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 you know, if you're going to choose a big gigantic company, I would say GE is not a bad one to choose because they have a small business mentality. Yes. Yeah, they're they have better than uh, mentality. A lot better so, than getting you know somebody from Walmart or something like that who's pretty much anti small business. The other thing, so. the other reason that GE is a good a good a good decision for the president is that the president realizes that we have to increase our exports. If we don't increase our exports. Uh, if we don't have growth in manufacturing and exports and we don't sort of get this free trade and innovation to sort of catch on here in America the way it has in the past and the way it is in other countries, that we are destined to fall behind the rest of the world in terms of uh, uh, you know, commercial power. So uh, GE has been able to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. GE has been able to walk into other countries and essentially establish a business and uh, figure out a way to – you know, do so with the citizens of that country uh, in a way that is uh, sort of uh, mutually beneficial and um, and uh, you know socially responsible, responsible, but yet at the same time make 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 a bucket load of cash. So um, that's a pretty good combination. So it, from that, I mean, from that uh, standpoint, I think this is probably going to be more helpful for companies looking to export or create innovation. Overseas, and let's face it, that that's a lot of companies. That's a lot of companies. So, anyway, I thought that was an interesting thing that is happening here, um, and uh, good for Mr. Obama. Ho- hopefully, good for for us. Um, hopefully, Mr. Immelt will advocate for all of us as small business owners. Nevertheless, um, that being said, Matthew, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, how about we talk a little bit briefly about this discover survey? Some interesting things in this Discover Survey. One of the things mm-hmm. that I that I see in this Discover Survey, Matt, is that I think it's I can't. I, it seems to have slipped away from my screen here. But help me out here. Was it thirty percent of the? Um, it, it says that the the first finding owner. was that thirty percent of small business owners said they will increase spending on business development. Oh, there it is. There it is. There yeah. Here it is. It's right here in front of me. Yeah. Thirty percent. Now, that, now, what amazed me is apparently it says, and that's in the next six months, right? In the next six months, yes. This jumped nine percent and is at its highest point since March of two thousand eight. Now, couple that with the next finding: fifty-seven percent of small business owners are reporting the economy as poor, and that's down five percent from last yes. month. So, <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure this out. And then the third finding is 43% of businesses are incurring cash flow problems in the last 90 days that have impacted their ability to pay their bills on time. Mm-hmm. So, so while their cash flow sucks, while um, they are saying, yeah, more than half are saying, yeah, this economy sucks, they're still investing they're still continuing to spend on advertising, additional inventory, 
capital expenditures, probably product development, things like this. What does that say about small business people? Mm-hmm. In the light, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I think small business people have always been willing to take a risk, willing to go out and really pursue their dreams, which is uh, what I think this this survey really shows. Yeah, and and I, I just want to say that this is a. I think this needs to be a um, a motivation to us as other small business owners. Apparently, the large majority of us are confident enough in the future even though the signs in the current are very scary. And isn't that what leaders have to be, Matthew? Mm-hmm. And as leaders, don't we need to display a great deal of confidence, even in the light of what might be a horrific situation? Um, we have to be confident for all those around us, clients, employees, uh, you know, vendors, uh, those that we're engaged uh, in uh, some sort of alliance or affiliate relationship with, People are looking to us to be confident. And so please, please, business owners, whether you have a gas station or whether you have a multi-million dollar uh, operation with offices in 10 countries, the most important thing that you have to have on display on a daily basis is your level of confidence. You're in this game because you believe something that many other people don't believe. You're in this game because you have a clear vision of what you want to bring about. And although you might look at the signs around you and the trees don't have any leaves on them and the ground looks frozen over, uh, you're looking forward to spring when you know that things will bloom. And so let that come through. I think that's, that's what I see most uh, evident in this, in this survey. Some other stuff on, on health care, uh, not a lot of confidence there and all that stuff, but but to me, uh, that's the big takeaway. The big takeaway is small business people are still confident in what, in what, uh, what have been a, a very difficult uh, uh, last 18 to 20 months here. So. Nevertheless, um, we'll be back with more fun. Uh, when we come back from the break, we will be talking to our friend, um, Harry Beckwith, and discussing uh, his new book, Unthinking. You're listening to the Small Business Hour right here on the SBA Network. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. The Small Business Hour is brought to you by CBON, the last communications company a small business will ever need. CBON, big solutions for growing your small business. For over 10 years, CBeyond has provided small businesses with the communication tools for success. We're proud to offer services such as local and long-distance voice, mobile, and broadband internet access, along with enhanced features like voicemail, email, web hosting, data backup, file sharing, VPN, and more. So as your business grows, we've got you covered. CBeyond, the last communications company a small business will ever need. Winning means sinking more shots, blowing away the competition, coming in first. Being second might have been okay for mom, but today, coming in second just gets you a pat on the back and a, hey, thanks for trying. Dale Carnegie Training gives you and your people the skills you need to win. For salespeople, how to be more strategic, earn and keep that important client. From prospecting to information gathering to negotiations to closing. For managers, it's how to win the commitment of your team. Build teamwork and loyalty like never before. A company where people excel. 
Dale Carnegie training isn't some boot camp with a drill instructor who breaks you down and leaves you in a daze. And it isn't going back to school for years and pulling all-nighters while you're still trying to do your regular job. It's the right training for the real world that teaches you how to win more often. It works, and it sticks. Call now, 562-427-1040. Face it, as a business owner, manager, or salesperson, you're paid for results, winning results. So make winning a habit. Call 562-427-1040. Come on, you were made to win. 562-427-1040. Are compliance issues keeping you up at night? Are you worried that your labor law posters may be out of date? Do you even know how to protect your business from fines of thousands of dollars? Without a dedicated compliance department, it's hard to remain on top of the constantly evolving labor law legislation at the state and federal level. That's why the experts at Compliance Poster Company provide their clients with a dedicated research department. The innovator of the all-on-one compliance poster, Compliance Poster Company has simplified labor law compliance. Just hang one poster and you're in compliance with all federal and state labor law mandates. Then when labor laws change, you'll receive an email to let you know and your restless nights. Call the compliance experts at Compliance Poster Company today at 1-800-817-7678. That's 1-800-817-7678. Once again, 1-800-817-7678. Or on the web at CompliancePoster.com. The Small Business Hour is brought to you by Cbion, the last communications company a small business will ever need. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Small Business Hour right here on the SBA Network. My name is Mark Dio, and, of course, joining me, the inimitable Matthew Walker. And, again, we're coming to you live from Los Angeles as your business advocates. Um, a lot of people, Matthew, influenced me um, over the years, um, authors, um, you know, teachers and stuff like that, um, one of those folks that um, that did influence me is um, a fellow by the name of Harry Beckwith. Um, more, more typically, uh, you know, probably viewed as a business author, but <clears throat> as an interesting book which has um, uh, some interesting ramifications for business, for marketers, um, for people making decisions in the business world, and and what is it that drives our decision? We think thinking drives our decision, Matthew, right? You would think logic would drive our decision, and it's sometimes emotions. But uh, it turns out that not thinking drives our decision. So <laughs> welcome to the show, um, a, uh, uh, who I think is a, a brilliant guy um, today, um, Harry Beckwith, author of the book on thinking. Harry, uh, welcome to the Small Business Hour. Thanks for joining us Thank today. you. Thanks for having me, Mark. So it turns out that not thinking really drives our decisions, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It does. We don't have a lot of time to think about a lot of the decisions we make, or at least a lot of the decisions which I talk about in the book, which are purchasing decisions. You'll spend a fair amount of time uh, choosing a home and perhaps a fair amount of time choosing a car and a couple of other items, but we're really so busy that we're acting uh, highly on impulse and habit and a num- number of other uh, of influence other than just pure reason and rationality. Yeah, and uh, you open up the book with an interesting story, and uh, it really it it kind of does position this very nice. I'm I'm not a sports fan, but even this got me uh, interested. Matt will be surprised to hear me talk about sports at all, right, Matt? Oh, I but, see. Uh, okay. <laughs> the book opens up with uh, the question, uh, I guess, asked to um, 
the players in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, of yes. of, and I wanted to let our listeners know because it kind of really frames this. Um, with with you know, let's say you had the game on the line, right? The playoff on the line, um, and where essentially one shot at the end of this uh, game would win or lose the game. What player would you put in to, um, you know, who would you choose to take that last shot? And so you talk about, you know, some of the people that are, you know, obvious choices and, you know, the LeBron James and the Paul Pierce and, you know, the Chauncey Billups and, you know, the, the Kobe Bryant. And, you know, who would you choose? And 76% of the people chose Kobe Bryant. <clears throat> and, and it turns out, interestingly enough, you, you proved this with some statistics, some basic statistics, which is that that, is basic, that was basically the, the worst choice to make if you look at the stats of yeah. uh, yeah, where <laughs> Kobe would be the guy, uh, would, would have the history and sort of the experience and the statistics that would prove that he could do it. In fact, he was the guy who was least likely to do it. Almost uh, the least likely. One, one, one time in four. One yeah. time in four. Yeah. Twenty-five percent. You wouldn't yep. want to put. Yeah. No, don't want that. Well, I <laughs> thought. But, but part of what was really funny was that their the tied for their second choice was the absolute worst. Was the absolute worst? Yeah, the bottom. The bottom. Who, who, who's, who's made one in six in his lifetime? One in six. You know, it's just know. like rolling dice. I don't know much. I don't know much about basketball, and so for yeah. me, I, I could I could choose. You know, I don't know anybody really because that's how little I know. But but at the same time, at the same time, uh, the reality is um, um, people don't make the choice based on what is the best choice. People make the choice um, based on what is what they perceive to be the best choice. Yeah, or and, or. Or what, or what they misperceive to be a good choice. Now, now interestingly yeah, enough, I'm seeing I'm seeing a note here from Matthew. He he can talk to me. But Matthew, you you say you say Carmelo Anthony, isn't that right? He, Carmelo Anthony is the best. Yeah, yeah he didn't read, he didn't read your book. He didn't read your book, Harry. I want you to know yeah. he did not read the book. Yeah. <laughs> there there's been uh, a number of debates on sports shows about this kind of thing, and uh, I would still pick Kobe Bryant, just so you know. Even knowing he has stats that are not as good as Carmelo Anthony, I would still pick Kobe Bryant. Why? Yeah, I know. Everybody would. Because it seems like the right choice. <laughs> there are all sorts of reasons to explain him, but one of them is that Kobe is just so familiar. He's played longer mm-hmm. than any of those players, and the players that they pulled have seen, Car- have seen I'm sorry, have seen Kobe make those shots 14 times as of the time that they were polled because they don't show guys missing last-minute shots. And so they were so accustomed to seeing it over such a long period of time, and that absolutely parallels the kind of buying decisions we make, which we, is we tend to buy the products with which are most familiar and the ones that we've heard about for a really, really long time or used for a long time. Now, what, so, what, Co- so Kobe oh, yeah, being the most familiar, the most veteran of all those players, he was a logical choice. Plus, he's the most veteran of all those players, and veteran in sports means wily veteran. That's the stereotype we have. They'll just figure out a way to get a ball in the basket. Well, LeBron is younger, and Carmelo is quite a bit younger. Uh, all, all the ch- people that fell in behind him were a lot younger. Well, you want that wily veteran, and especially the wily veteran of the world champion team. I mean, he must be good. He plays for the many-time world champion Los Angeles Lakers. He no. just, and so everybody says he must be the best choice, and I don't care what the statistics 
say he's still the best choice, and, and people will will defend that to their death. And you make that you make that point. You, you make the point in your book that that oftentimes that does happen, and probably more often than not that happens. And people say things like, "Well, you know, you you, you lay the stats on them." And I think we can all relate with this in the business world where we're trying to convince somebody that, hey, wait a minute, your decision isn't right, boss, or, or your decision <laughs> isn't right, and, and say, well, look at the statistics, and, and then yeah. people have this perception, well, you can prove anything with statistics, right? Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. But that's not really true. I mean, that, that isn't true. I mean, you, there's certain things you cannot prove with statistics, and you make, you make the point, you know, you can't prove that it's going to be, you know, warmer <laughs> in, 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 in December in New York than in August because it's uh, yeah exactly yeah there's, there's yeah. plenty of sense. so so but but I thought about this and when I read read your book or at least started reading it I haven't finished it yet um, but uh, I, I I realized that this has great import in making decisions in the world of business and it has great import for small businesses trying to figure out uh, how to survive and possibly thrive um, yeah. in a very difficult economic environment. Making decisions yep. on who to hire, um, what what you know development to engage in, what client relationships to to choose, uh, how to market themselves more successfully, um, you know what you know all all, all of the, the 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 choices that we have to make on a daily basis in running a business, yeah. Um, yeah. and and are we making choices based on the herd theory? I guess is what what we're talking about here. Everybody's running in that direction. I'm yeah, running yeah. in that direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you, there, you, you, you see sacred cows in business where someone says something one day and they say it loudly enough and then they repeat it and they repeat it and then, and then it becomes actually a rule of, of the business. Well, you know, trade shows don't work for, for marketing our There you go. So we won't there do that. Because somebody once said it and then they repeated it and then they repeat it again and now it's, a, it's a, an article of faith. In the company, and that's just that's just another of these many examples. It's not it's not cogent and clever thinking, and uh, and it disables a lot of companies in a lot of ways. Um, critical thinking, I think, and and we've we've talked about this before, and I think we had the father of critical thinking on our show, who's a brilliant guy, but I don't know. I almost fell asleep. God bless him. Um, but nevertheless, the point being is there's very little critical thinking that occurs, and and as we're marketed to death. Uh, in in this world, and I say marketed to death, uh, not not just television, but the internet and Twitter and you name it. Um, it tends to re- product placement. It tends yeah. to reinforce this decision. Now, let me ask you first off. I want to come back to you know uh, applying this uh, to some business decisions that I'll ask you about here. But but what is it that prompted you, Harry? Because this is kind of an unusual topic for you. When I saw this. I thought, hmm, this is interesting, uh, Harry Beckwith book, but a little unusual for you. What, what is it that prompted Well, I never thought that it was. If you look back through the books, I was especially in Selling the Invisible. I've been looking at a lot of the psychology of decision-making, both uh, with respect to planning. I wrote a, a, an entire section in Selling the Invisible called The Fallacies of Planning, which really do, which really do deal with a lot of the cognitive uh, mistakes okay. that we make. Okay. And uh, and then there's a substantial section called uh, what people buy and why they buy, and, and so it's it's uh, it's been there for a long time. It's really been my greatest fascination, and it was really uh, my favorite parts of my very first books. But then I devoted most of my attention really to marketing and customer service. But all along, 
I realize that in the end, the decisions about what people want to buy or what or whether they like a relationship or don't like a relationship is based on how they think. And so I, I want to explore, and I've long been exploring how do people think? What do okay. they? What? I guess that's true. I mean, I, live, I you know when I looked at selling the invisible, I looked at it more as a you know someone managing a sales force, and that you yeah. know, there is the emotional aspects that we're really um, wanting to tout. But yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, the the, the decision making process. So now, what is it that j- makes us want to just go along with what we pursue? For example, all accountants. I mean, I, I'm I'm on a board of a of a organization, and and this was interesting because I saw this in your book bef- before this happened or after this happened, and I was like, wow, that just happened to me yesterday. Um, they were talking about who to assign a project to. And this this required some analysis, and mm-hmm. so they chose a group of well, they chose an accountant, a CPA, and two of two of their sort of crony CPA friends. Um, and you know, I mean, that's okay, but I thought we needed to have a little bit more uh, diversity on this on this team. But when I asked people why they why they were so insistent about choosing. They said, well, this is an analytical project. We need analytical people. <laughs> Just because they're accountants doesn't necessarily mean they're analytical, but that's unthinking happening. And I saw that in your sure. book. I was like, wow, that just happened to me the other day. Yes. Stereo- well, I've been, writing about, I've been writing about stereotyping really all my life. That was a driving force that, that uh, got me fascinated in the whole subject of of it, I've, I've uh, written. I'm a former lawyer, and so people have oh. stereotyped me all of my life. I uh-huh. once, when I when I became a creative person in an advertising agency, we went to show up uh, our proposal to a client, and they he said he was wowed by the proposal, but he was still going to go with this other advertising agency. And our president asked him why, and he said, "Well, you know, I'm you know really looking for a creative team, and Harry's a lawyer." <laughs> I mean, I, that's a true story. He said it was I the best that. presentation they saw. He loved the idea. We came up with a new name for the product that he actually bought from us. But he went with an agency that whose creative uh, team wasn't headed by a lawyer. Holy cow. You know, lawyers that's... can't be creative. But we live by these rules of thumb. They're, they're decision-making shortcuts. And, and the truth is we need some decision-making shortcuts in our life or we'll spend all of our lives trying to make decisions and not enough getting along with our life. And so that's what you're trying to analyze now. Well, that's why I analyze a lot in these books. The fancy team for it is heuristics, which I won't even try to spell. Yes, heuristics. Uh, but, yes. but, but the short term for it is, you know, shortcuts. What are the shortcuts that we take in thinking that obviously lead us to uh, unthinking, the, hence the title of the book? Now, and, how do you under, and how do you understand those uh, so that you might be able to use them to your advantage. How do you better understand the people you work with and the people you sell to uh, and a lot of the shortcuts that they take? Uh, and how do you understand those so that they're more likely to make the choice you want them to make rather than the choice that they jump into? Well, there you go. And how to, how to bring, a ten- bring that to uh, uh, people's attention in a way that um, you know, garners some support rather than... Uh, a defensive attitude, because a lot of times, a lot of times mm-hmm. when people make that unthinking choice, it's almost like, huh, what? I mean, of course yeah. I chose this. What are you nuts? I mean, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, it's hard to. Now, so so tell us about that. Now, how? What what is some way to recognize, or what are some ways that we can use to recognize that? Hey, wait a minute! I'm making a choice without even you know thinking. I've got no critical thinking applied here. How, how do we how do we catch ourselves, Harry? 
I don't know. I, I think it's 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 really a it's, it's almost as if you know it's, I don't want to send her to to sell the book, but you almost have to like so many other things you have to study it a bit to catch yourself doing it, and uh, hence hence the purpose of the book. It's not, by the way, that you end up making uh, bad decisions, by the way, necessarily because. There are lots and lots of good products and lots and lots of good services out there. You just have to be be careful of, you know, are you shortcutting yourself too much and are you really critically assessing this or is there something else at work there? So it, 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 it's a discipline. But, uh, but, but the book, uh, I'm thinking, will get people to, to discipline themselves and it will also get marketers to understand better from small, very small businesses to bulk of your audiences to, to bigger ones. Uh, as to how people do go about making these decisions. Yeah. Now, you also talk in the book, I mean, you have a story, and you can kind of clarify this, about how I guess there were some failures back in the early 60s uh, of British acts here in the U.S. And so a lot... (laughs) This is really interesting. A lot of record executives, uh, you know, they saw this, and they said, oh, no more British acts, no more... No more British acts. That's a great example. British acts don't play they don't work they don't work they don't don't stop and so along come the Beatles along come the Beatles and um, of course um, just to make a long story short I think a lot of people lost a lot of opportunity (laughs) yeah yeah including the famous including the famous Dick Clark who laughed at them and said they'd never fly even after their first appearance on the Sullivan Show saying oh they're just a one hit wonder or a one night wonder or a one week wonder yeah Yeah. they're a fad (laughs) Because British acts don't play. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah, Yeah. well, they had a few examples of British acts that didn't play, and so they decide all British acts don't play. But I I guess how much times it happened to us in in business where, um, you know, people will, you know, engage in some, you know, Internet advertising, for example. I mean, we see this, and you've been in the advertising business, so you know what I'm talking about. And yeah. they'll say, "Oh man, it doesn't work. We tried everything, everything." You say, "Okay, well, yeah. have you integrated your camp?" "Oh yeah, we did that." Well, but wait a minute. You know, how could you have done it? No, no, we've done that. So it's almost like they're not even they're not even entertained this once they've sort of made up their mind. Can you unmake up someone's mind who is on that unthinking road, Harry? Yeah, I haven't written that book yet. But <laughs> That's but, but you know what's but it, it's all part of just acquiring within yourself a kind of a, an openness, uh, a, a willingness to mistrust, a willingness to not be, you know, one of the things that I've talked about in this and in previous books is, you know, what's called the overconfidence bias, where we're, we're far more certain of ourselves than we are accurate in what we're certain about. If you give someone a test uh, and then, and then you, uh, a set of multiple choice questions, and then you ask them to rate their level of certainty about each answer from, you know, zero. On the answers that people say they're 100% certain that that's the right answer, they are wrong 15% of the time. We're all overconfident in ourselves and in our judgments. And so one of the things, and I think one of the things that great leaders have, the really great leaders have, is they have a willingness to think, maybe I'm wrong this time to being open to that possibility ah there you go yeah but, but we're but we have great uh, we're, uh, we're 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 egomaniacs mm-hmm. for, for the most part we really do believe 
that it, the the conclusions that we reached about things are right, and we'll defend them to the. I mean, just look at internet, you know, discussion boards and the arguments that people have. Both sides are absolutely right that there are absolutely sure. opposing views are absolutely correct, sure. and and you can't sway them from them. But yeah. if you're willing to be swayed from them and open to the possibilities, that can open up all kinds of extraordinary things. I mean, who would have thought of combining fairy tales with amusement park rides? You know, what was Walt Disney thinking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, they told who would think? Yeah. yeah, who would think that you could make a, a computer, a highly sophisticated computer, more like a toy and a plaything like Apple did? What a silly idea. And boom, it's some of these silly ideas that people would argue against vehemently that have enjoyed great success. Well, um, uh, very interesting stuff, Harry. Um, we've run out of time, but I would love to have more time to talk about this because it is so fascinating. I guess the conclusion is is that we need to apply that critical thinking. We need to look at the absolutes, right, in the decision we make. Decisions we make. We need to look at the desirables, and we need to be open in getting more advisors. I think to give us advice and not necessarily listen to what everybody says, but certainly. Let's consult different people. We tend to talk to the same people. We tend to talk to people, and you talk about this in the book, uh, who reinforce our original uh, decision even before we, de- we make a decision. You know? Oh, those are our favorite people. Yeah, exactly. We, seek we, out we, the really want, we don't want to be challenged. We want to be supported. Yeah, we seek the yeah. data that helps us to reinforce our sort of uh, original idea. <laughs> Nevertheless, I want to okay. encourage uh, listeners to get the book. It's called Unthinking, and it is really an interesting read. I want to liken it to the uh, Malcolm Gladwell, though I don't want to compare you with another author. But, uh, oh, it is, no, it's a compliment. Uh, He's a good storyteller, and really one of the things, Mark, yeah. that I, I do try, I've, always, I've been a storyteller for for uh, 15 years I've really yeah. learned and I, and I talk by the way a lot about in this book about that's yeah. one of the subjects to tell stories yes, to tell stories exactly check it out Harry Beck with Unthinking wherever books are sold Amazon.com or you name it uh, Harry thank you so much uh, is there a website you want people to uh, check out here? yeah my name Beckwithpartners.com B-E-C-K-W-I-T-H Partners.com and there's a Facebook page and Twitter and all those other good things and I have a weekly column in Psychology Today, and they can oh, find really? that. And yeah, and, and they can find that. In fact, there's a there's a very pretty picture with today's article that was just submitted. It's a picture of Sharon Stone, and what does she have to do with? Uh, are we real? Do good prices make us uncomfortable? That's the subject. Oh, of I, I, I got to check that one out. You got to check that <laughs> check one out. That. She she looks pretty, but she, but she tells a story. She tells the story. Yeah. Well, thanks okay. a lot, Eric. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Today. All right. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Folks, Harry Beck with Check It Out. I'm thinking you're listening to the Small Business Hour. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. The Small Business Hour is brought to you by CBion, the last communications company a small business will ever need. CBion, big solutions for growing your small business. For over 10 years, CBeyond has provided small businesses with the communication tools for success. We're proud to offer services such as local and long-distance voice, mobile, and broadband internet access, along with enhanced features like voicemail, email, web hosting, data backup, file sharing, VPN, and more. So as your business grows, we've got you covered. CBeyond, the last communications company a small business will ever need. 
means sinking more shots, blowing away the competition, coming in first. Being second might have been okay for mom, but today, coming in second just gets you a pat on the back and a, hey, thanks for trying. Dale Carnegie Training gives you and your people the skills you need to win. For salespeople, how to be more strategic, earn and keep that important client. From prospecting to information gathering to negotiations to closing. For managers, it's how to win the commitment of your team. Build teamwork and loyalty like never before. A company where people excel. Dale Carnegie Training isn't some boot camp with a drill instructor who breaks you down and leaves you in a daze. And it isn't going back to school for years and pulling all-nighters while you're still trying to do your regular job. It's the right training for the real world that teaches you how to win more often. It works and it sticks. Call now, 562-427-1040. Face it, as a business owner, manager, or salesperson, you're paid for results, winning results. So make winning a habit. Call 562-427-1040. Come on, you were made to win. 562-427-1040. Are compliance issues keeping you up at night? Are you worried that your labor law posters may be out of date? Do you even know how to protect your business from fines of thousands of dollars? Without a dedicated compliance department, it's hard to remain on top of the constantly evolving labor law legislation at the state and federal level. That's why the experts at Compliance Poster Company provide their clients with a dedicated research department. The innovator of the all-on-one compliance poster, Compliance Poster Company has simplified labor law compliance. Just hang one poster and you're in compliance with all federal and state labor law mandates. Then when labor laws change, you will receive an email to let you know and your restless nights. Call the compliance experts at Compliance Poster Company today at 1-800-817-7678. That's 1-800-817-7678. Once again, 1-800-817-7678. Or on the web at CompliancePoster.com. The Small Business Hour is brought to you by Cbion, the last communications company a small business will ever need. All right, folks, welcome back to the Small Business Hour right here on the SBA Network. Mark Dio, Matt Walker with you. That was our uh, friend uh, Harry Beckwith um, commenting on his new book, Unthinking. Very interesting, Matthew. Very interesting. Um, unthinking. The, the, the idea that um, essentially uh, we, um, we make decisions literally without thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I hate to say this, but I think that's true. <laughs> I think it's definitely true. I think you know all the psychology experiments that people have done have proven that time and time again that as much as people want to say that they think out their decisions and that they make them logically and they weigh all the options, that what it comes down to is emotion every time. I think people do buy um, uh, emotionally and defend their decisions logically. But I think uh, Harry uh, Beckwith is, is, is going beyond that, even the concept of his first book, Selling the Invisible, which is the emotional context. I think he is helping us to see that sheer momentum um, might force certain decisions that we make. Yeah, In it's, other words, yeah. it's uh, almost uh, you know, it's a little bit analogous to sort of like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Uh, not go. to get totally physics on you, but basically the the asking of the question, the way that you frame the question affects the result is sort of what we're seeing here. So when you when the language in and when you talk about things in a certain way, 
and they start to go a certain way. That sort of influences other people into going with the going with the flow every time. Uh, whether or not, like, they don't even consider the options. They say, well, this is what people do, and that's what they do. I mean, I've seen that happen in business time and time again, where one company gets some momentum in terms of being the market leader. Uh, as you know, in a business that we were in, in the credit card business, there was a company, Authorized Net, got some momentum behind them. And even though there were plenty of other alternatives that I personally felt were better. a lot better, better. Uh, I think I helped design one that was better. But uh, unfortunately, they had the momentum, and they became the de facto standard, and then now that's just what you use. And you look at uh, uh, search engines now. I mean, it would be nearly impossible for a new competitor to come along and unseat Google at this point. They become so ubiquitous at this point. Microsoft's spending a ton of money, and they can't do it. I mean, nobody's going to unseat Microsoft on the desktop level. It's just not going to happen at this point. Well, it it will happen, and and those things will happen, but they will be – um, left field innovations. And, yeah, you would have to basically what you do is you throw the market completely out. The, the existing market no longer becomes the market anymore. You come up with something relevant. new. Yeah, it's not uh, relevant. Like, you know, it would be, say, with what uh, the iPhone and Android are doing with phones now, that's a totally new market. So right. with there, they've got a chance to completely overthrow Microsoft, who actually had a pretty strong smartphone market for a while. Sure, absolutely. Or what, what what Facebook has done to you know social networking, absolutely. Um, and so so I mean these are the these are the kind of sort of wild innovations that are not improvements but breakthrough. And that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about here, Matthew. I wanted to talk about the difference between continuous improvement and breakthrough innovation. Yeah, you did a. I remember there was a couple of years ago you even did like an audio presentation that's still available on our website on Breakthrough Innovation. That is correct. Uh, that's very that's good. good. Now, um, and folks, you're, you're welcome to go there, uh, um, markdeo.com, and uh, check out uh, info on the book, uh, Rules of Attraction. But um, what I'm talking about here is that most companies engage in continuous improvement. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think we, see, I think we have to do both. I think we have to engage in continuous improvement. Simply because we're we're in markets where we have competitors, and uh, in order to unseat the competitor, or in order to ensure that at least we're getting our fair share of the market, um, we have to constantly improve. Whether it's uh, delivery systems, or whether it's the actual product itself, or whether it's the service that we provide with the product. Um, or any of those uh, variables that surround our business model, um, <clears throat> that we have to continually improve the the uh, uh, performance so that because customers' expectations are increasing. Let's face it, uh, our expectations as customers are increasing all the time. And when when one competitor makes a mistake, then at that point another competitor can begin to secede. Um, now. That's fine, and that needs to continue. But what I am saying here is that without breakthrough innovation, um, companies oftentimes stagnate. And this happens to big companies and little companies as well, in that the business model that makes sense today for your target audience um, will change over time because your target audience tastes will change, their needs will change, technology will change, Social implications will be modified. Um, Design elements, ergonomics, 
usage, all of the things that drive a customer choice of a product or a service for that matter will change. And so we need to begin to change with it. Now, the continuous improvement type of change isn't going to address, for example, uh, a usage change. Because, you know, if someone's using a product and that use of that product changes, they're not using that product for the same reason anymore, then obviously we're going to have to have some pretty, pretty significant breakthrough performance. Let's just take water, for example, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30 years ago, it was unheard of to buy uh, bottled water. Now you will be hard-pressed to walk down the street without seeing you know, nearly every person that you meet carry or have in their bag or car some bottled water. Because the usage of tap water changed for one reason or another, for many reasons, frankly. People began using tap water uh, for things other than drinking, and more so for things other than drinking. And they began to relate tap water not really with drinking water. Now, I know there's exceptions, and I know there's people that say, well, it's the same as bottled water, it tastes a little different, but it's the same, or it's better than you, for you, or if you use a filter, it's better than bottled water, it's cheaper, whatever. But that is the minority. Yeah, even though all that happens to be true, it doesn't even matter. It, uh, you know, what, it's, it's irrelevant, really, which is better. With the unthinking. Yeah, it ties in with Harry Beckwith's concept of unthinking. And so um, somebody came up with the idea. Now, in the book, I talk about how I... And I've had these numerous situations in my life where I've been on the brink of being a billionaire, Matthew, and I walked away with pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met with uh, the people. Um, it was this young man from Fiji, and um, he had this idea of uh, selling bottled water. And at that time, Arrowhead, I think, had a large share of the market. Just Arrowhead and Sparklets here in California were yeah, they had a, about it. Largest share of the market, yeah. and at that time there wasn't a lot of, you know, people didn't walk around with bottled water so much as they do today. But it was just starting to catch on. Um, and he showed us the bottle that he had in mind, which was quite an innovation. It's this little rectangular type of bottle. Anybody familiar with Fiji water, which I think is the, I think they're number three in terms of water sales in the world. Now. Wow. Um, he showed us this bottle. Myself and Bill Flegenheimer, and we looked at it, and we, we laughed. We thought it was humorous. We thought it looked like, I don't know, we had some words for it, but we thought it was kind of funny. And he was looking to import this water here into the United States. And Bill Flegenheimer, my client, is a customs broker, still a customs broker. Bill's retired, but his sons run the company now. But nevertheless, um, we talked about it, and... Um, uh, we had a good conversation, and he agreed that he was uh, going to use us as his customs broker to import this water. And, um, of course, we laughed, and we said, well, this will never be a big client. He's, you know, yeah, he's importing water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that really is. I think at that time, our, our, our large clients were like Saab and some of the auto parts companies, auto companies, uh, and, you know, importing parts and stuff like that. And so as time went on, Fiji became a very large client for Flegenheimer, and at one point, they were the largest client for Flegenheimer, and at another point, Fiji became so large that they created their own in-house customs broker firm, and uh, the Flegenheimers did some consulting, and eventually, 
uh, they really weren't needed anymore because mm-hmm. Fiji became such a huge company. Uh, maybe maybe a lack of innovation there. I don't know. They didn't need them. My, my point being is that there was a change in the marketplace because someone had the vision. This young man had the vision that bottled water was going to be this hot and that a unique bottle which actually displayed the water in a very you know, sort of appealing way um, mm-hmm. would allow people to you know, take advantage of that change. So he, that is what we call breakthrough innovation. Breakthrough innovation, and um, and I think that I, I think we can apply that to any business. So I want to encourage. Now, this is just a really quick touch on this um, that we're doing here. But if you look at the book, the Rules of Attraction, I think um, I think it's a sixth chapter. You can see a little more detail, and I talk about some other innovations. Some, um, I think we need to devote some time to breakthrough innovation. We have to say, I know it's messy. It requires brainstorming, uh, green light thinking, Matthew. Uh, oftentimes, when we hear mm-hmm. ideas from people, we our first our first mindset is to what can I do to shoot this idea down? I mean, it's just the way we are. We think an idea. Hey, hear an idea? Yeah, but but it won't. But it can't. But what about? But how about? So green light thinking means um, uh, embracing all ideas, writing them down, um, looking at them, entertaining them without having a negative mindset, um, and then. When we have all the ideas down, then we can begin to uh, practice that red light thinking where we can say, okay, now what are the best ideas? Let's rate these ideas. Let's grade these ideas. Let's, let's put positives and negatives to each idea. Uh, what are some absolutes that we'd have to have in place in order for this idea to happen? So I talk a little bit about this in the book, but I want to encourage people. I want to encourage uh, small business people as well as all business people to begin to think about breakthrough innovation. Look at your products. Look at your services differently. Get some advice from other people. Uh, embrace all new ideas. Um, write them down and then start grading them. And, and you very well may come, with, come up with the next um, fantabulous innovation. So there you have it, Matthew. A little bit on mm-hmm. breakthrough innovation today. Anything to add to that, my friend? No, I think that's a pretty good uh, summary, and they can just go to the website and find all kinds of information. Uh, Just search on our website for Destroy and Rebuild Your Business, and uh, we talk about this a lot. There you go. There you go. Well, there you have it, folks. Another show um, uh, down down the tubes here. (laughs) If you're you're listening to this show and you're saying, you know what, Um, I wish they would talk about, let us know. I wish they would talk about recruiting. I wish they would talk about retention. I wish they would talk about whatever. Uh, let us know. Give us an email. Let us know you're listening. Let us know uh, what might interest you, and we'll certainly try to cover that topic. Uh, new sales class starting um, in a couple of weeks, Matthew, so if uh, folks are uh, interested in uh, really upping their selling skills, please do let us know. Any folks listening, uh, thinking about uh, bringing about some change to their business, uh, let us know that as well. We'd love to be able to provide some input for you also. Um, Again, Matthew, uh, I'm sure you're doing comedy all over uh, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Ice House, Ice House. That's what I always hear every week, Ice House. Ice House all the time, uh, all kinds of shows. Just go to FunnyMatt.com for all the info. FunnyMatt.com, check it out. Okay, folks, there you have it. You're listening to the Small Business Hour right here on the SBA Network. Have a positive, a productive, and a very profitable week. We'll see you next Monday. The Small Business Hour is brought to you by CBion, the last communications company a small business will ever need.